Hello, you're listening to Underscore, a podcast by the Chicago Graphic Design Club, dedicated to bring you conversations with Chicago's creative leaders. On this podcast, we'll explore the craft, theory, and practice of graphic design, plus discuss bold ideas that push the boundaries of what's possible and ways in which we can create a more thoughtful and inclusive community. To learn more about us, visit our website at www chicagographicdesign.club or find us on social media. Special thanks to the Chicago band 80 Slang for our theme music. Hello, today I'm your host Christian Solorzano, founder of the Chicago Graphic Design Club. And I'm joined by underscore team member, Jamie Cisneros. Hey, y'all. Um, I'm Jamie Cisneros. I am a board member of the Chicago Graphic Design Club. Um, I help run our podcast as well as our book club discussion. And we're super excited to be speaking with our guest today, Nick Adam. Nick Adam is a designer based in Chicago. In 2018, he graduated with an MFA in graphic design from RISD. He's currently a design principal at the design studio SPAN. And prior to that, he was an associate principal at Thirst, and before that, a strategic director at Firebelly. He describes himself as a as strategic and values-driven, his work focusing on detail and the power of identity. He uses design as a means to optimistically experiment and create work that leads to rich and diverse life experiences. He views graphic design as a way to connect us all and views the role of the designer as a mirror that reflects out truth. His work has been exhibited at the Design Museum of Chicago, Letterform Archive, Newberry Library, the Milton Glaser Design Center and Archives, amongst other places. Nick Adams' work, for me, sets the bar. I admire his attention to detail, craft, and devotion to the field of graphic design. So thank you so much for being here, Nick. Um, very pleased to have you here. Uh, Christian, uh, Jamie, I, I greatly appreciate uh, your time today and um, um, the desire to talk to me. Um, thanks for the, the time and space. Of course. So let's get into the first question that I, uh, I'm very curious about. Um, tell us how you got into graphic design. Yeah, well, uh, thanks, Christian. Um, I feel like there's a couple different origin stories that I can think of. Um, one is quite silly. Um, and I'm not sure if it's true. I maybe made it up sometime in my imagination, but there was a moment I think we all experience, um, you know, within like kind of Western education where you're in maybe kindergarten and you take a crayon and you, um, you know, create a silhouette of your hand and then you begin adding details to it. And all of a sudden you drew a turkey. And I think that actually was the first moment I was kind of interested in, in kind of thing, making creative things or, or kind of distorting perception. Um, but I, I, you know, that's kind of a much younger thing. Um, the first kind of pathway into um, graphic design and, and really like letter form making um, was through uh, graffiti. Um, so bubble letters with like, spray painted in rusto fat black with fat caps um I, I grew up within a lot of um kind of 
uh, underground microcultures, maybe one might call that. So the kind of early to mid 90s uh, punk rock rave and graffiti scenes in Chicago. So what was some of the um, what was some of that design content that you were consuming back then? Was it was it publications? I'm imagining it was music. So things probably like album artwork and, and such. Um, anything specific that comes to mind as something that just drew your attention and sort of, yeah, just got cemented into your mind and let you and, and allowed you to want to, you know, pursue this as a career? Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I think definitely as a younger person um, back then in my teenage years, um, the word design didn't exist. I didn't know what design was. I didn't, you know, I wasn't conscious if I was consuming some sort of designed medium. Um, but back then I was extremely interested in, um, you know, what now I would call identity making. And essentially what a, what a graffiti writer does is, um, you know, makes identity through the selection of, you know, placements, the modes of writing, the style of letter forms and the selection of a name. And so if I think back, um, my interest early on was always in this idea of identity making, identity creation. But back then it was just kind of being inspired by, by letter forms. Um, but if, if I were to say um, the design mediums that kind of were around that I was, I was excited by actually were flyers of kind of, you know, kind of, kind of two polar ends, um, punk rock flyers to go like um, McGregor's in Chicago mm -hmm. or the Fireside Bowl. And so those things tended to be pretty crude, you know, one color, Xerox, cut or drawn. And then on that other end of the spectrum, Chicago had a massive rave scene in the 90s. You, you, if you can imagine mm -hmm. um, 5,000 young folks go into a place like the Route 66 roller rink on Martin Luther King to see Daft Punk perform for $10 in a can of soup. Yeah. Those types of parties, the flyers were the polar opposite. Multiple, you know, six color, eight color jobs with foil, with die cuts. They were fantastical. And so I really like those kind of extremes mm -hmm. back then of like, oh, going kind of hardcore or going kind of fantastical. Um, when I think about myself as a young person, um, this like trajectory of, of you know, um, being involved in, in punk rock culture or rave culture, um, it was kind of, you know, escaping um, the things that were around me, the, the idea of thriving for uh, something, you know, crude and rash, you know, like punk rock um, was this desire for feeling. Mm -hmm. And then this other polar end, uh, the fantastical, the things that existed within rave culture, it was uh, this ability to, to, you know, move, move out of reality a little bit. Um, but Interestingly enough, the kind of design aesthetics of those things that existed really within um, flyers that you would see at record shops, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of had those types of aesthetics, always custom letters, you know, mm -hmm. kind of really interesting to think back, um, you know, kind of. Well, um, it, it seems like there, there's a there's a revival happening right now because I see on Instagram that there's almost like this new um, 
well, I wouldn't call it new, but I, I, it seems like it's a, the, like that 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 look, that aesthetic of um, a flyer that's you know at a record store or that's you know in the middle of the street. It seems like a lot of the maybe maybe perhaps it's a new generation of designers that are finding that that are discovering um, this historical movement in design. I, I've seen I've seen it become I've seen it. I'm seeing it more and more on Instagram, for instance. I I, I was actually mm. talking with a friend today, and um and we were and and we were I mean he was he was critiquing this idea of um today like things like on Photoshop or on any design software there's some plugins that will make that will take your design and apply an effect to it to make it look like it's you know we paste it on a wall or you know it's torn and it's gone through some sort of um, yeah, totally. aging process. So, so it's interesting. Cause I, I, I do agree. Like I remember growing up and also experiencing, um, some of that same design before I even knew that design was, you know, a profession or a thing. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I remember the smell of the paper and like the way that, yeah, just the way that every like each prints, like no two prints were alike. Some of them had some sort of like imperfection to them. Um, so I missed that. And, and I want to know what are you, what are your thoughts on this new, I guess, if you want to call it like revival in design, that's, you know, it seems like it's, it's paying tribute to that. What, what are your thoughts on that? Mm. Well, um, you know, when, when you were talking in, uh, about this, like kind of revival, um, I was focusing less on this idea of like, there's a filter in Photoshop that makes it look torn or, you know, these mock-ups that make it look like it's been, you know, through life and focusing a bit more on that aesthetic of like, mm -hmm. you know, is it um, something aligned or related to, um, you know, mid nineties punk or rave culture. And I certainly see that as a movement that's currently, and I think something that's really interesting, um, you know, again, as a younger person looking at these things, you didn't really know that people made them or who they were mm -hmm. or what type of people they were. Um, there was a series of punk rock flyers that, <clears throat> or I'm sorry, there was a series of rave flyers that I'd come across and I'd collect them. You know, they were, they were again, out of this world. The type was wild. The colors, the type of like fluorescence that hit them or the mm -hmm. die cuts shapes were, were always like something like you never experienced before. And that's what these parties were. They were attending something that was unlike any other kind of situation you, you'd been in. Mm -hmm. And what I came to learn later on, looking back at this collection of flyers that I had as, you know, kind of a 14-year-old, I was going to these parties as a, you know, pre pretty young person. You know, as I became, you know, 19, 20, I was looking at the details on the flyers and there's always a little kind of credit. And it was yeah. credit, uh, it always credited um, struggle incorporated. Mm -hmm. And I, as, as a, you know, as I start get becoming like, you know, 20-ish, you know, I, I got my uh, bachelor's as well in graphic design and started doing some re research, like, you know, who is struggle? You know, what's mm -hmm. the struggle? Uh, struggle Incorporated is Cody Hudson. Cody Hudson, a, you know, back then, uh, Kenosha, Milwaukee-based designer today, um, um, a rather important Chicago designer and artist mm -hmm. that's, that's celebrated around the world. And so, when we start asking ourselves about, oh, golly, there's this aesthetic that was, you know, it seems to be connected to the 90s. Where is it coming from? Mm -hmm. But then we see someone like, you know, Cody kind of 
operating at extremely high levels of the um, art, culture, and design spheres. It's like, oh, I think people are doing their research and they're becoming aware of like, oh, that, you know, this thing that we see that's Cody Hudson today, it's mm -hmm. connected to this history of rave, uh, rave flyer making. I also think that the aesthetics of rave flyers or the aesthetics in general carry codes, codes mm -hmm. and messages that are kind of attached to truth or attached to a lived history, right? You see an aesthetic of this rave culture and you feel, um, you know, you, you have a memory or an understanding of what a party might have looked like. And back then, these were just like, um, communities of peace, of diversity, of expression, kind of coming together to celebrate each other. And so in these moments where we see a revival of that aesthetic, I feel as though, oh, we have some people that are similarly minded as we were, you know, in, in the 90s, you know, we mm -hmm. were kind of building up this idea of, um, you know, independent expression against ideas of, you know, let's say, out of control capitalism, uh, war for oil. You know, th that's what I think of when I think about um, subcultures. These subcultures are always um, a response to something or a reaction to something. Mm -hmm. And aesthetically, when I see this aesthetic reoccurring, I think, okay, this is, this is something that's back in the zeitgeist, right? Yeah. We can be gathering together to kind of, you know, fight monoculture. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that there's, there's like hearing you speak about this particular time in design, I feel like context played a big role in the context of the time and like the music that was happening and like the parties that were happening, like all that kind of stuff. Like it, it was all its own little, you know, like it's, it's, it was its own universe, if you will. Um, and yeah, that's, that's something I always think about. Like when I see, when, when we look at design work in the wild versus when we look at stuff on a screen, I mean, if you're looking at a flyer amongst a bunch of other flyers that are pasted on the wall, to me, that flyer plays a different role when you look at it on a small screen or when you're looking at it on a website or whatnot. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's just something that I always find myself thinking about and like just always questioning is like, what's the context through which people are you know, adopting this, this aesthetic. Um, yeah, that's just that. I don't know, for me, that that's just very fascinating. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, Christian, I, I love that you bring that up. Um, so I, I, I've been practicing design for about um, 20 years now. I really love the process where many people are gathering both on like the creative and the client's end to come together to share ideas. And there's something really unique and magical about the process in which it's many heads um, kind of yielding these new ideas and new reality. And that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And I also extremely love making small details that hold the message or hold the idea that instantly communicate it. However, going back to what you're saying, my favorite thing about graphic design is seeing it used seizing mm -hmm. it in the world, seeing it, you know, as an artifact in a human's hand or mm -hmm. on the street past its life. Mm -hmm. It's evidence that it worked or that it's, you know, it, it, it did its job or it did its thing 
So the most exciting parts for me are always when that design is in is in use. Um, mm -hmm. Recently at Span, um, I got to lead uh, the team and um, a series of clients on like um, you know a federal government, state government level on renaming a fish, and this yeah. sounds crazy, and you know it was a multiple year process. Um, you know, maybe like 30, 40 people involved all together when we think about, you know, multiple states and what have you, all the, all the like um, um, organizations that had to come together. This, this engineering firm, Tetra Tech, was kind of like um, th this like overarching um, crisis solution organiz organization that we had to work with. And again, the, the collaboration was incredible, working off of like 15 years of research about um, uh, forming a market for this fish that kind of doesn't never had a name in the United States. And so that was incredible. But a couple of weeks ago, I was in um, Springfield, Illinois at the um, state um, fair and, and they were giving out samples of this fish. They were mm -hmm. doing it in taco format. And, um, and, you know, I wanted to grab some pictures for, you know, for memories. And I grabbed a couple of pictures of people eating tacos and, you know, holding, you know, artifacts that relate to the graphic design. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, isn't that cool? And I walked by this garbage can, chock-a-block filled with these um, food-safe, sustainable wax papers that were used to hold the taco. And I was like, you know what? This is the best portfolio picture. Yeah. It, it's used. It was, you know, completely filled with these wrappers. There wasn't a lot of evidence of the food. And so that, that, you know, qualifies as like, you know, what our parents' generation might call the clean plate club. Yeah. Um, but here it is in real life. Mm -hmm. um, there's always this moment, whether you're making design and showing it in presentations or mocking it up and showing it in presentations, which has to be done, you know, it happens all the time. And it's always speculative at that moment, right? Yeah. Here's what it could look like. Doesn't it look real? But then that moment of introducing it to a public, making like, again, an artifact of humanity, mm -hmm. um, there's something new and special there where all of a sudden it being introduced as an artifact into the public sphere means now that millions of ideas can grow from it. And I think that's what I think is most exciting about this idea of like, you know, design on the physical form or it it in the world that you're walking past mm -hmm. it it has the potential of changing someone's you know way of thinking yeah and i think it also just validates its success or lack of success when you're able to yeah just see and i, and I think seeing your work like in this case like like things in a trash can confirms that it was used and it confirms its success and i think I don't know, like to me, the, the, there's just a lot of beauty in that, in that idea <laughs> of looking at your work as it's like it, it did, it, it did its, it, it accomplished its function and it's now being put to rest. And, you know, I, I don't know, like, I, I love that. I, I recently saw a, um, on, on the internet, I saw that there's, there's a, so, so as designers, we always use mock-ups to, you know, place our work in like these beautiful scenarios and I look and I and I stumbled upon this website called Fockups, and their 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 the mockups that they present are um 
they they pretty much give people the opportunity to displays to to display their designs in bad conditions. So things like you know a business car that's like on the floor or someone that's like on the toilet looking at their phone, or like a a flag that's like you know like obscuring like its message. And um and I don't know I I just found some irony in that that people are taking like people are recognizing that design is that design goes beyond just its perfect form um but that it also exists in these other imperfect moments as well i love fuck ups i saw it about two weeks ago and i was just like this is great because it's so easy to make a beautiful and so let me let me just qualify that term beautiful um it's really easy to make like on trend, passable, great, you know, quote unquote, great, great, clean graphic design, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a couple tutorials away from everyone. And it's also really easy to mock it up in its perfect conditions. Golly, look at this billboard that's never mm -hmm. been created. You know, it's a couple clicks in the mouse. Mm -hmm. um, but until fuck ups, it had to be actually made and like kicked around for it to have that like <laughs> dusted used, like, like earthy and, and yeah. real look. Uh, so anyways, I, I yeah. Fuck ups <laughs> is actually, I, I was like, I w it's one of those things where I was like, Oh, I wish I came up with that idea. Yeah. Um, so, so I have a question. I have another question. Um, what are, what was the first thing? So, so, as as a as a teenager, you're consuming all this design, visual media. Um, do you have a memory of like what was the first thing that you consciously intended to design as a design artifact? Um, I'm just trying to have my mind race for a second um, and and consider high school. I don't actually think, you know, in, in high school, I definitely like drew flyers, mm -hmm. you know, for friends bands. But I think that was that that feels a little bit more of like, it didn't feel like designed to me. Mm -hmm. um, in in junior high and high school were like the years that I um, like wrote graffiti. Again, that, you know, it's a form of identity creation, but not necessarily design. Um, I think the like first thing was pro like like that I'd considered to be a design project of mine um, was while I was in, in undergrad. So probably 2001, probably 2001, mm -hmm. um, I did some rave flyers. Um, and that to me was a, a super big deal and super cool. Um, I, I really, you know, in high school, you would, you know, get out, go to the record shop, and you'd you'd just look at the stacks for um, flyers. These mm -hmm. these 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 parties were super illegal, mm -hmm. um, and you you'd look for, and they were kind of again this like, you know, Willy Wonka golden ticket of transcending <laughs> to another world, yeah. and they were you know fantastical like a golden ticket. And so I always, um, you know, as a young person, I didn't have designers around me. I didn't know quite what a designer was. I kind of, you know, luckily stumbled into this um, by way of graffiti writing um, and, and 
you know, my, my expectations were, golly, I'll probably work at a corporate place making some stuff for something. And the dream was I would make something that people could feel. And as a young person, I define that as, you know, flyers related to music, flyers related, mm -hmm. related to raves. Um, so my very first one was for some rave. I can't remember what it's called. It's not in my portfolio today. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it sure did mean a lot. I remember I had some cool letter forms nice. and I really, uh, you know, talked to the, talked to the client about, <laughs> about them <laughs> as a, as a, you know, young buck, you know, I was probably yeah. like 20 or something, That's but awesome. uh, kind of cool. Like the, um, a lot of folks in the studio or folks that I mentor, when I hear about their stories, they talk about how high school is filled with design programs. Mm -hmm. Design wasn't even a word that was introduced in high school, at least to myself. Um, you know, luckily I had a art teacher that knew um, my interest in letter forms by, by, you know, by sharing an interest in graffiti writing. Um, and, and this, this, art teacher brought in a you know guest quote-unquote artist but um, they, they were a designer mm -hmm. and they were actually a type designer that worked for Ascender Corporation and so as a 17 year old I had never heard the word design before I never understood that possibly adults were into the things that I was into you know letter forms <laughs> um, and there's this dude that comes in you know a professional that looks like he's, you know, um, you know, making some form of life out of drawing letters. And it yeah. really, really uh, blew my mind and really opened me up to going, oh, I actually have a path. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to just take a moment to hear, to, to say like, Christian, you know, I've listened to your podcast before and you shared a little while ago that you, you know, came from an area in which a lot of your friends didn't take the same path as you. And maybe, you know, I, I forget the terms that you used, um, but I'll, I'll use my own. Um, a lot of my friends that I grew up with, we were involved in these underground cultures. Mm -hmm. A lot of them didn't make it. Yeah. And it's, it was incredible that this person came into our classroom and talked about type design. And all of a mm -hmm. sudden, it, that, that was the road into graphic design and you know maybe like three years later i made a flyer and was very proud <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah for me it was um so my my grandmother she she purchased my first computer it was a sony bio and i had it didn't have internet so for like the first i would say like year and a half of me with a computer with no internet all i would do is um I, I did have some design software. It, it wasn't Photoshop. It was something else. But it was just it was it was such an exciting time to have a computer with no internet where you could just sort of where you're sort of forced to create things without really without any sort of um, reference point that exists on the computer. Like for me, my reference points were were very similar to you. It was music and um and it was like album covers and just the visceral nature of holding like the booklet and, and smelling it. And, and I remember at the time, um, Eminem's album, the Marshall Mathers LP had just came out 
And it was the first album that I purchased where the the booklet, like the the printed material of the CD was matte. Um, and it, there was some texture to it. And I remember opening it up and like just feeling it. I'm like, this doesn't feel like your normal like CD. And I remember the the disc itself did not include um the 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 artist's name Eminem like it just had a photograph of him like very small and everything else was just negative space and I thought like I I, I just I'm I'm talking about it right now I'm getting so excited because I don't I'm sure you I I'm sure you've had moments like this as well where like there was just like this these catalysts that just sort of like just supercharged you to want to pursue you know a career in design and for me it was um. I think just growing up and being somewhat of a being into alternative music and being more into what at the time people would call like the goth subculture. Um, I, I, I tended to, to be the kind of person that um, I guess the, the appropriate word would be like, I was more of a loner. So I spent a lot of time like by myself, just studying things without really knowing that that's what I was doing. And it wasn't until yeah, until high school that I, I had a, a, a photography teacher that introduced us to like the proper way to use Photoshop. So she would like, you know, give us assignments where we had to use different effects and whatnot. And I'm still in touch with that teacher. Um, but yeah, I feel like this, the, I feel like today, yeah, because my, my brother is, he just graduated high school and he's, he, he tells me that he's, yeah, he's been exposed to graphic design in, in high school. Cause it's, you know, mm. it's more of a thing now, like, it's always been a thing, but more people are talking about it now. And I think smartphones definitely make make it possible for anyone to, you know, identify as a designer of something, whether it's yeah. photography or Instagram story or whatnot. Yeah, it's funny. The, you know, proliferation of smartphones and digital surfaces in general um, kind of brought us into this reality in which um, every person interacting with them is interacting with a designed environment. And therefore design is at the tip of everyone's tongue because we're, we're familiar with it. We can reconcile it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same thing with the tools, the two tools have been completely democratized um, yeah. for kind of relatively low sums of money. You can have a subscription to these softwares you can watch a couple tutorials and like, you're a designer. Um, The breadth of design is so darn wide. And I think that that's really exciting. You know, it's not, it's, you know, this idea of like, Oh, this, that's a good piece of design, or this is good design, or this is real design. It's like, that's completely out the window. There's such a massive range and, Mm. and such great kind of like areas for, each one of these ways of practicing um, to be relevant. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like uh, more than ever before, like we, we were, we've always interacted with designed surfaces, right? The road, the sidewalk, all these things are a designed surface that allow you to navigate your life. Um, but now because of the screen in the moment, we're like literally touching it all of a sudden we're more familiar, like golly, someone made this Mm -hmm. and i think that gives us great agency prior to the screen you know i think there was a lot of barriers 
to mm -hmm. understanding that like, oh, one can inform one's community. One can build the things around them. And the screen has kind of opened everything up to let you know that like, none of this around us is permanent. Mm -hmm. So much of it was wrongly done, poorly conceived, not the right people in the room. And what, what I'm talking about there is, you know, the, the like generation where design was very exclusive. Mm -hmm. And now it's all completely able to be flipped on its head. Yeah. It can all be redone because having the seat of the designer all of a sudden puts you in the position where you decide what gets made and what doesn't get made. Who's yeah. at the table? Who's not at the table? What are you going to bring up? when you hear something that's inappropriate or not right, or you're just not sure of, you're, it feels a little off. Yeah. I think more than ever, we're empowered as, as folks that are designers coming into design um, to make sure you're, you're reconciling these things. I think it's a very kind of, um, you know, it's, there, there's a massive opportunity for the designer to decide what does and doesn't happen. They're the one in control doing these, you know, moving the mouse around, sending the files. And it's just a matter of speaking up and saying these things. Certainly mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable at times, um, but I think, you know, there's, there's like three stages of um, the things in the world. There's like innovation, there's tradition, and then there's institution. And they all are on the same timeline. Innovation is a brand new idea. Tradition is that same idea done a couple times. Institution is no one questions that idea from 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and and hearing you say, so you, so you said looking at, looking at something and thinking to yourself, someone designed this. Um, when you said that it triggered me because I've, I don't, I don't know if you, I, I don't know if you, how aware you've been of this, but um, uh a lot of people are using AI, artificial intelligence nowadays to to produce, you know, visual images. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and I feel like that just opens up a, a, a whole can of worms because AI is now designing things. And obviously it's requiring that there's some sort of human inputs. Um, but I, yeah, it'll, it'll just be inter very interesting to just see how how our practice evolves as you know these these tools continue to get smarter and smarter and i know with my friends like a conversation that we always have is whether yeah what role is ai going to play in our professions and is there any part of us that should feel in some way threatened by this idea of all of a sudden you know the computer being able to generate an idea like so much better than you could possibly uh, imagine within just a few seconds. So I don't know if, you I don't know. know if you've, if you have any thoughts on that. So sometimes people ask like, what is your favorite project? And, you know, I'm not speaking for myself. I'm speaking for answers I've heard from other people. A lot of times people like to say, Oh, my most exciting project is the one I'm on right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true for life. Right. Yeah, And that's to say, yes, there's a lot of pain going on in, in the world right now. Yes, there's massive, massive, massive crises. There's also weird, little, exciting things. 
exciting things that could go terribly wrong or exciting things that could lead to new realities. And AI is one of those. Um, AI, as I understand it, it's built off of patterns, patterns of responses, patterns of behaviors. And that will inherently always lead AI to certainly create things quickly, um, create things that are possibly problematic, um, but yield things that one couldn't yield in the matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. However, the AI will never be able to yield what you yielded by having a discussion with a uh, diverse mm -hmm. group of stakeholders and, and folks bringing their life experience to it. Yeah. AI is not bringing your life experience to it. It's bringing a massive amount of patterns, patterns that often round out that which is rare or unique. It's again going towards patterns. So great sums of answers going, okay, we go towards this. So I think AI as an image creator, hey, there's going to be all sorts of wild things that come from it. I think it's exciting. I think it could never replace a designer because a designer is really good at narrowing and yeah. going, okay, it's me and these 10 people, me and these mm -hmm. 40 people, me and this one unique community within this cross section. Um, let's say, let's say these, these two roads in Chicago. Yeah. All of a sudden the uniqueness of that makes AI inability to ever create something appropriate. So mm -hmm. that's a key word there, making something appropriate that responds to the exact thing. Will it make something? Absolutely. Will it be interesting? Totally. Will it make something that I can't make? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Will it be able to make the thing that you make? No chance. Yeah. No, I, I, like, I like your response a lot. I, I also think like there's a chance that it may remove some labor, right? Mm -hmm. It may there might be parts that like, you, you know, um, the idea that I wanted to share was there's a chance that parts of the AI, again, as image creator, as composition maker, perhaps tools come out where all of a sudden I, I don't really, you know, th there's already a couple tools right now that we use where it allows us to more easily build responsive digital projects. Mm -hmm. that are informed by AI. AI already kind of goes, okay, we suggest that you stack the blocks this way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe that saves me 10 minutes. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's not perfect, but then I'm a couple clicks away from perfect by bringing my kind of particular eye to it. There's something a moment ago where I say particular eye, or when I talk about this idea of like creating something unique, because of your life experience or because of the group of peoples of life experience that's on the project. Mm -hmm. A couple episodes ago, you were talking to Jonathan Sangster and Jonathan brought up a similar thing. If you don't have a point of view in the work that you're making, mm -hmm. you're just making stuff that looks like everyone else. Yeah. And so I kind of think that again, in a world where we all kind of have access to a you know, the same set of knowledge via the internet. What differentiates one designer to another is that life experience that they apply, mm -hmm. that particular lens that they apply. Yeah, I agree. And that's certainly something that, you know, a machine can't duplicate. <laughs> so it's interesting. Um, 
And uh, so you, so you've been in the, so you, you, so you've been operating in the, in the Chicago design community for, for, for a long time. And something that I always enjoy asking your guests um, is a question of how have you seen Chicago's design community evolve over the years and where do you think it currently stands? Cause I mean, I, I remember, I mean, I remember when you and I first met, which I think was almost, if not 10 years ago, and it was through um, the STA archive, I think it was like in 2012 or 2013. Um, but I remember at that, at that moment in time, um, Chicago had a lot of, I, I, I just felt like the Chicago design community always had um, a thriving community that I, that always had events and that like something was always happening. And I think the pandemic certainly put a dent in that. And I, yeah, I just want to hear from you. Um, what are your, like, just what, what, what evolution have you seen happen in Chicago over, over the 20 years or so that you've been working here? Um, yeah, I think you bring up some good points. I, we, you and I met, um, I was doing the design work for, um, the STA with Matthew Wazinski, and I believe you were photographing the yes, exhibition. Yes, I, I was photographing the exhibition, and it's funny because no one told me that that I would be like. I remember, um, I was assigned to photograph the pieces, like the submissions, the entries, um, but I wasn't aware that they were going to be going to the catalog. <laughs> so I remember, oh, funny. I remember Matt reaching out and saying like, Hey, like, when are you going to get me those photos? And I'm like, what photos are like the ones you took? I'm like, Oh, you're going to use those photos. He's like, yeah, they're going in the catalog. And I remember just like running home to like, you know, send him like all these images. And he's like, are you going to edit them? I'm like, edit them. No one told me I had to edit these photos. Um, yeah, it was a fun, <laughs> fun, fun it was <laughs> Yeah. It, was, it, it was it was it was a fun I, I mean I, looking back like I, I I think that was such a great opportunity like I'm so thankful that I was I was put in charge of that or that I contributed to that catalog that you guys did because because I think that year um that you guys did the identity it, and it was something around like what the I remember it was like what are you willing to sacrifice or like the what what was the title of like what was the theme of of that of those designs I remember it was something to do with sacrifice. Do you remember the, the, the yeah the the theme was ritual ritual um, there you go so we were kind of um golly calling attention to so the theme for that was we were kind of looking at you know what the STA um competition was um so the SDA competition, uh, something that's existed for many years in quite a few different forms, you know, I think about 70 years. And we were looking at this and going, you know, what is it that a designer does? A designer kind of creates the surfaces of the world in which we all interact with. And that takes a good amount of work. It, um, you know, doing a good job at it takes a lot of discussion takes you know you know it's a full-time job it's a lot of effort mm -hmm. and then you know Matthew and I were looking at this design competition we're like golly and now we need to like you know mock up all of our work 
create mm-hmm. a entry form, sell it to the judges, mm-hmm. pray that the judges like it, hope that they accept us. We were kind of looking at the stresses around, you know, the mm-hmm. pressures around that, uh, that, that a competition does to designers. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, will, will you give up your time to submit your work? Mm-hmm. To, to mock it up, to write these entries? And then, so there are essentially three stages of the uh, campaign that we did for the STA. The STA. It was all around ritual. Mm-hmm. The first stage was sacrifice. You know, yeah. what, what will you give up? Will you give up your time to do these submissions? The next one, um, so if it was sacrifice, the next one was judgment, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness, these judges are coming in. You know, I better prepare. I hope to meet them at a party. Um, you know, golly, I, I hope they pick my work. I hope they don't say anything bad. You know, there's a lot of like social pressures around a competition. Mm-hmm. The third stage was worship. Will yeah. my work get into the party? Will will the, it be number one? Um, so we were kind of looking at the competition as, you know, every community. Every community is kind of based upon I- ideas of ritual, um, ideas of gathering. You know, what do you give up for the community? You know, how does the community judge that? And what's selected to be, you know, correct or right or best? Yeah. So in a way, it, it kind of, you know, it's, it's, it, it, there's, there was a lot of irony in there. There was a lot of like, you know, kind of, um, you know, it wasn't like poking fun, but it was a lot of like, what do we do, you know? Mm-hmm. We, did, we got these jobs where it's sometimes 40 hours, sometimes 50 hours, sometimes 60 hours. We want to, you know, make sure our work does the duty that we're, we've signed up for. And then we got to put in extra hours to like submit work. So yeah. it, it was kind of like a funny thing. So I'm glad you brought up the STA and the way that you and I got to meet. The design community, um, especially in Chicago, I have found to be something that has all sorts of opportunities for meeting others and for making work and for making connections. Um, You bring up the Society of Typographic Arts and how you and I met and we met through archive. Mm -hmm. And certainly like today, because of the pandemic, designers meet in different ways. And also the types of meetings are extremely different than before. Chicago used to have a community where we'd have these massive events, typically a lot of people drinking beer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes there's work on the wall and we would point to it, say, oh golly, this is what I did recently. Um, other times they were action oriented. The STA um, had a couple opportunities that you and I filled, right? You did a photography for the catalog and for the event. Uh, Matt Wazinski and I did some design work for this um, competition, but there's other, design um, communities in Chicago that really have given me a lot of opportunity in the last, you know, across my, across my career. One of them is what, what used to be called moving design. Moving design was a set of 12 designers that would assemble under, um, you know, Rick Valiseni's, um mentorship and leadership. And we would respond to issues facing Chicago that no one was talking about. One of those was um, water related, how we treat our water. Chicago treats it pretty terribly. 
Um, another one was bike related. We did this whole interaction about the ways we move in the streets and um, kind of the, the at-risk behaviors of um, cars and bicycles. Um, this was all before, you know, Chicago got its bike lanes. Mm -hmm. And that moving design kind of led me to another group, um, you know, uh, led me to working at Firebelly for quite a few years. And at Firebelly, we did this thing called Camp Firebelly, where we would invite 10 kind of youngish designers from around the world. They were essentially somewhere between the ages of 22 and, you know, 32. And they'd spend 10, I think 10 days with us. And we'd respond to um, kind of a client's needs that couldn't typically afford a design studio. Mm -hmm. And so those are the things that I remember from the past where I'm like, man, those, those are what like made my career and made me who I am. I'm a designer focused on um, justice related issues that are supposed to focused on um, um, aligning well with community. And it's a lot of those, those types of um, places. And so today I'm actually calling you um, from something quite similar. So the pandemic changed how we gather. And what I mean by that is rather than like, you know, creating this impromptu design studio that, you know, gathers and talks about the, the ills of Chicago's water. Right now I'm with a group of architects and urban planners um, like this very moment, I'm calling you from an abandoned school that the Rahm Emanuel administration had shut down. It was the center of the community. It was uh, the heart of the community. And it's been abandoned since then. Mm -hmm. And this group of architects, once a month, we hold a community day here. It's in Bronzeville. It's right at the corner of Indiana and 49th. The address is... Um, 221 East 49th, it's Overton Elementary. And we're doing all of the things that we used to do. We are gathering to design um, interactions and give back to the people of the community. Essentially what's happening is they're looking at the space of these all these abandoned schools that the city walked away from and going, how do they become reactivated to become centers that aren't forgotten, but have space for others? So I think the Chicago design community has shifted a lot. Some of it's around gathering and social spaces. Other parts of it are much more about, golly, do I want to gather and point at beautiful things on the wall or do I wanna be with community and offer something um, back to the world? Mm -hmm. I think Chicago is extremely unique in having that. Um, I, I left Chicago for two years to get my master's in Rhode Island the East Coast design scenes are not the same. We have a massively connected, warm design community here that like yourself, um, you know, is invested in, 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 in each other. It's, it's extremely unique. I, I, I kind of assumed that was everywhere. I showed up in Rhode Island, hung out in New York. And I was like, you know what? Damn, I got to get back to Chicago. Folks make eye contact in Chicago. Yeah. They say, hello, how are you? Yeah, I, I, I've been to I've been to other parts of the country as well. And, and I always that that's a realization that I've also had is about Chicago. And that's definitely something that um, when when the pandemic started, um, like everyone, I, I remember just being 
Yeah, it was a scary time, and 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 the Chicago Graphic Design Club really came as a response to, um, just the lack of, like, just the 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 feeling of isolation in twenty twenty, and like really, and 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 it was, and like I guess, it was very easy because, because everyone was virtual and people are not meeting each other in person. Like it just seemed very natural to finally you know, create this community where people could connect without needing to really see each other in person. But we, we've we been over the past, um, yeah, over the past few months, like we've been doing more and more and st- more stuff in person. We actually, you weren't there, uh, unfortunately, but we we gave a, we did a wonderful tour of, of Span in January. And that was awesome. That was so cool. You guys, the work that you guys do is amazing. So um, oh, thanks so kind of yeah I know um I remember you visited with Bud and we yeah. kind of timed it so like not a lot of people are around we're around yeah. we we're super careful of making sure that like you know everyone's comfortable um you know uh, uh, in regards to like you know social distance and everything um mm-hmm. but yeah I, I was extremely excited to hear you were coming through and thanks for the kind words on the work um, I feel like it's super important to like always like acknowledge, give credit, mm-hmm. you know, to to the folks you know doing work. And so Span currently is, um, you know, Bud Rodecker and John Popjowski. They're they're the partners that created this studio. And then there's um, Avery and Valeria, Cheryl and Marissa, Zach, Alyssa, and. We just had, oh, actually, I was going to say, we're, and we have this intern, uh, L right now. And what's really cool is, in many ways, we all have extremely different backgrounds and different interest areas in design. And when we come together and like do this act of collaboration, it's not necessarily like a one-author moment. Um, it, it ends up creating uh, extremely, what I, what I, what I think is extremely gratifying um, of work that's interesting. And I um, guess for for the, for the for the listeners that um, would you know at some point or you know for the for the listeners that love the work that you guys do, um, what kind of like what do you guys look for when when you guys are bringing on talents? Like what are what are some of the what's what's some of the some of that criteria that you guys um, seek and and yeah prospective candidates. We're always looking for someone that has an interest in the types of clients and the types of work that we're doing day to day. We're looking for someone that's um, bringing their, their, their self in a really unique way while having that interest. What I mean by that is we're a studio that does a great amount of identity design. Um, that could take the form of motion. It could take the form of augmented reality. It could take the form of logos or videos or, you know, websites or, you know, really anything visual and communicative. And so we're really looking for folks that are interested in that breath and folks that have participated in it. Um, We really like when someone has interest outside of design or interest in particular communities or backgrounds that are different than ours. We, we want to assemble a group of people that, you know, no two are the same. 
Um, something kind of interesting about the studio is it kind of functions as three studios. So a lot of studios have like, you know, one principal or one founder. Um, this studio, we have kind of three different um, studios functioning. There's Pabajowski's studio, Rodecker's studio, my studio, and we all kind of share each other and share resources and jump in when we need it. Um, but we also have like our own sets of clients. And so this kind of like shared um, space allows us not to have like one style or one mode, which really is part of this idea of span, this idea of breadth, this idea of like going across sectors or across mediums or across um, kind of backgrounds. And so we're always looking for folks that are extremely interested in these types of clients, mm -hmm. um, but also um, that, that brings something special. You know, is that photography? Is that 3D rendering? Is that um, participatory um, engagement? You know, what what is something about themselves that they're, you know, proud of, that they're invested in? Um, but it does go back to, um, you know, are you interested day to day in this practice of, you know, identity creation, identity design? Yeah. Yeah, I like that answer. Um, I'm sure people listening will just appreciate knowing that because I, I I do think I, I mean for me when I remember when I was in college, I would there there are certain studios that I looked up to, um, and yeah like it was just always the question that I always had in the back of my mind is like what is it like what does it take for someone to work at a place like that and I never really like unless I personally asked or like someone told me like it wasn't it didn't seem like it was some something that people were really I mean at least in college like people didn't really discuss uh this the specifics so uh yeah thank you for your answer um yeah and so so we're so we're almost at time and I have I have one more question and then um Jamie will be asking you a few a few more but um You've had some pretty like you, you've worked on some pretty amazing projects. And I want to know if there's if if you've ever had a moment in your career that sort of, you know, made you question like, oh, man, like, is this real? Like, am I like what, what are some of those moments or like some of those highlights or one highlight specifically where you've sort of um, had to pinch yourself to to know that you're you're actually experiencing this in real life yeah is it okay if i share two yeah go ahead okay um th thanks for that question um i feel like as you walked through um your description of it i just started going back to those moments and back to those instances it really helped me kind of go back to those memories um perhaps the first one um or one that's on the top of my head right now is while I was at Firebelly um, working with Will Miller and Don Hancock, we got the opportunity to partner with IDEO. I IDEO selected us and brought us in to work for the city of Chicago and to create the city of Chicago's bike share program. And when this project began, that was the name of it. Um, the city of Chicago bike share and it began with a deadline and it was like in two months, 
this project's over with. There's a full identity that's going to um, into production and it's going to become um, something that every single person in Chicago interacts with every single day. Mm-hmm. And so we had to create the name and identity uh, for Divi and everything visual about it. You know, what does the logo look like? What are the colors? How does it show up on a van? Um, what are the, uh, all, essentially all, all the different deliverables. We, we designed a 65 page um, identity guidelines document, but it began with going day one to the client hey, it's important that we have a new name. Mm-hmm. It's important that we create an entity for this. It's, you know, people don't need to know it's the Chicago Department of Transportation's bike share. They just need to know that it's safe and it's available. Mm-hmm. And so we did a massive amount of um, public research within the matter of two or three days. Wow. We turned around names, got approval on them, drew you know custom letter forms i can give a three-hour talk around these letter forms that (laughs) will miller and i drew and i think that pressure of two months um if you think about everything that needs to be done golly rama manual needs to be convinced there's a name you know all these departments all of these kind of governmental officials need to sign off on this thing and in two months, the files are out of our hands and going into production. We worked really hard on it and it was extremely fun. We, we put a lot of pressure upon ourselves to say that, hey, we have this opportunity. What can we do for the people seeing this? And mm-hmm. what we felt is we can make them safer. Mm-hmm. We can select a color that vibrates from the background so much so it makes the biker more conspicuous and therefore there's less car on bicycle accidents. And actually what ended up happening is cars on roads that bicycles often often go down, cars actually dropped five to 10 miles an hour, which means less car on car accident, less car on pedestrian accident, less car on bicycle accident. And so in this project, we had this idea of like providing some sort of public service through our graphic design. You know, we could use symbols from the road that say, yes, bicycles belong on the road. That's that stacking arrows. Mm -hmm. And so we had all these kind of, you know, theories and we brought it out into practice through our craft. And it was in the matter of two months. At the end of it, I distinctly recall Will and I talking and going, golly, did we do good? <laughs> is, is, this, is this okay? And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, man, that was really fast. It's hard to know. Yeah. And, we're, and I was just like, you know, I think this is at the scale, like if we, if we effed it up, we're going to have to move. <laughs> And so if you can imagine, um, you know, when you're doing a a program this large, all of that stuff needs to be manufactured. The bicycles need to be manufactured. The vans need to be purchased. The um, stations need to be installed. You know, we're talking about six months of of production. So all of a sudden, six months later, after we wrapped up files, have not seen a single thing, never saw proof. Mm -hmm. 
it shows up in the world. And that was a moment where we were like, we had no real understanding of the scale of what it meant to introduce a blue that vibrant. Mm -hmm. You know, we we didn't really know, like, golly, you are going to see this everywhere. And it's going to be successful in terms of making bicyclists more conspicuous, more seen, and um, causing less accidents. That was one where it was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea we were, there would be an opportunity like this. Mm-hmm. I think the, the next one was a most recent one. Recently, um, actually when, when SPAN was formed, um, so as a principal, um, part of my responsibilities um, beyond like leading work or mentoring folks on the team um, and designing work um, is also bringing in clients. So finding new business, um, hitting um, kind of uh, numbers that are out there for, for me to bring in. And one of the first projects I brought in was uh, through an engineering firm called TetraTech and mm-hmm. the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, um, a, a state governmental agency. And they were asking for something similar that the city of Chicago was asking for, right? City of Chicago said, give us the Department of Transportation's Chicago bike bike share. And this group was asking for a logo for what is so-called Asian carp. Mm -hmm. And I read this thing and was like, you know, what what is a logo for a fish? Like, where's this logo gonna go And also, where does this name come from? And what we found was that this name is make-believe. It's entirely false. No other country in the world uses it. Typically, only non-Asian folks in the United States use this word. And we're like, my goodness, what if we respond to the RFP? You know, it's a governmental agency, so an RFP is made. It's sent out to... All, you know, it's put public, any, any designer in the world could respond. Mm-hmm. And so we wrote a proposal where I suggested perhaps what's needed is not a logo, but a new name and for the fish's story to be told. This fish, um, you know, again, it's actually four species of fish are the second, they make up the second most eaten fish in the world, even though that North America up until just recently, hasn't really eaten it. And it also makes up the second healthiest fish in the world next to wild caught salmon. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, golly, how is it that this kind of completely fake generic term has made the US not understand that this is one of the best proteins around? And so we put this out as a proposal. They said they, they, they apparently enjoyed it and hired us. And we started this journey right before COVID and then throughout all of COVID, um, working to understand the public's perceptions around fish, around nutrients, around decisions they make at grocery stores and uh, renamed this fish alongside ecologists, marine biologists, 
And then like governmental officials on both sides of the aisle, you know, folks in Kentucky, folks in Illinois, folks in Iowa, you know, and we were able to like unite around a story um, backed by science, ecologists and marine biologists, you know, uh, you know, kind of create a, you know, a story around this fish that was never really known. And we made, you know, a bunch of materials. The materials essentially are, you know, they, they go into the food distribution hub to instill trust. For 15 years, the Illinois Department of Natural Resources has tried to um, land a fish distributor to sell this fish. It's an easy thing to do in every nation aside from the US and they were unsuccessful. Using the kind of design tools that we built and using the language that we cre created, we were able to land seven national distributors before launch and at launch have this in restaurants and markets and have it continuously sell out. So we were able to, through kind of just like, um, you know, writing this wrong of, of like misplaced racialized language, create a story for this fish that the entire world loves. And now the US actually has a chance of improving its waters because it's it's um, it, it's a it's a massive um, ecological problem that this fish is in um, our freshwaters, mm -hmm. and it's a it, and so just this idea of like okay, we were able to build a coalition of tons of people that were able to get on board with yeah that is not a real name. Let's go ahead and get that out of here. And golly, this fish tastes great. How can we, how can we get it out into the world? Um, so I think the, these moments of just seeing, you know, at the state fair, looking at this garbage can filled with, you know, all of these like, you know, Kopi related design materials. Kopi is the fish's name, relates to copious because it's gigantic and it reproduces at a rate that's, you know, unbelievable while looking in this trash can or while watching folks eat this, I heard folks walking by going, oh, my brother's a Kopi fisherman in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So this idea of like the, the process of design, the folks that are brought in were literally kind of creating artifacts that, you know, build value and shift culture. This okay. person said they're a Kopi fisherman people were asking, how do I purchase Kopi? There's a store in Chicago on Clybourne called Dirks that it has quadrupled its overall store sales just because they carry Kopi. Wow. Yeah. So the, I, I, these are a couple of things where it's like they're, they're beyond, they, they were both beyond my ability to dream about, right? Mm -hmm. I could have never dreamt of like naming and designing uh, a transportation system uh, with my peers at Firebelly. I could have never imagined um, naming and designing an identity system for a fish with my peers at Span. Yeah. It's out and, of this world. And and we'll make sure to include links to, 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 to both these projects and 
in the notes for this episode. Cause yeah, I've, I've seen the Kobe um, branding that you guys did on your website and yeah, the, the design overall is just, it's, it's excellent. So, um, all right. So before we wrap up, I'm going to hand it over to Jamie. Um, he has some rapid fire questions for you. So ready for you, Jamie. All right. So fascinating stuff, Nick. Oh my God. I'm just sitting <laughs> over here like in awe, but are you ready? I am ready. Okay. So uh, do you prefer Chicago summers or Chicago winters? Summers. Awesome. And uh, sticking on Chicago, uh, do you prefer the brand identity of the Cubs or the Sox? Sox. And why? Um, I grew up loving Frank Thomas. My family's from back of the yards. I currently live in Kenwood. I've never liked another baseball team aside from the Sox. Why would I change because of the identity? (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Well, you have a friend in me. I'm also a Sox fan. So Uh, uh, what is your favorite Chicago business? If you have one. Pass. Pass. Okay. (laughs) So the next question was going to be, what is your uh, dream project or client? But since you kind of, uh, talked about that we can go on to the next one um what is your uh a pet peeve with a client if you do have one pass no 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 i'll, I'll, I'll do it um pet peeve uh-huh. with a client if i have one damn it's a hard question um <laughs> how about we go to a next one and i'll give you some time to think about that okay thank you jamie all right. Yeah, no problem. Uh, if you did have a typeface uh, to use for the rest of the life of your life, uh, what would it be? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, um, These are really hard hitting questions. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I had one typeface for the rest of my life, I would probably choose to do anything else besides use it. I probably would stop <laughs> using type. <laughs> you know, what the hell's the point of that thing? Right. <laughs> okay. So uh, do you prefer dogs or cats? Cats. Uh, cats, for sure. And what is your current preferred uh, design software that you are enjoying? I mean, I love glyphs. Glyphs. Okay. <laughs> and for my last question, if you do have one, um, what is your favorite beverage? You know, I, I love water so much. <laughs> it used to be, it used to be Dr. Pepper for sure. But lately it's like water just makes you feel incredible. Yeah. You wake up in kind of an off mood, have a glass of water, sparkling or still, doesn't matter. You mm-hmm. instantly start feeling rejuvenated, at least myself. Um, yeah. I, I love to stay hydrated. Yeah, I heard, uh, I don't know if it's a rumor or if it's just a thing that I, that I heard, but I heard that if you drink room temperature water, it hydrates you faster than cold water. I don't know if that's true or not. Interesting. Yeah. Dude, I'm and... going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to try it. I, I usually really love chilly beverages. I use a lot Me of too. ice cubes. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try the warm. and uh with dr pepper i started drinking dr pepper recently because i heard the secret ingredient is uh barbecue sauce i don't know how true that is but (laughs) you you know what's i could see it 
I could see it. There is a kind of like parallel track across those Mm -hmm. flavors. Mm -hmm. All right. And um, I don't know if you wanted to uh, talk about the pet people, but if not, then we could stop there. Yeah, no, let's do it. Jamie, what's your pet peeve of a client? Pet peeve of a client for me is them not, uh, uh, them settling on a speci- on a, on, a, on an, a choice and then ha- that have having them go back on that choice and keep changing their minds over and over and over after yeah. talking about it. You know, uh, I, I'm struggling with the question because every client's so darn different, I think, but pet peeve of a client probably is, um, Golly, I had something. It went away. Um, pet peeve <laughs> of a client is you know, it's, it's not a, it's not every client, but some sometimes um the time frames that you share with them when you're being really honest about mm-hmm. what what type of time something takes, um, whether that means you know, graphic design making or hey ordering some paper, which is very difficult to do in the world today. Um, sometimes that time frame, you know, slips on their end, no matter how much kind of reminding you're doing. And then they're like, okay, well, you know, our delivery date hasn't changed. And it's a little like, but this paper doesn't exist in the world. So the delivery date has changed. Um, Sometimes, you know, there's this, uh, you know, there's a few clients that don't always um, understand the, the like, very truthiness um, uh, of the timeframes that you're sharing. And that, that gets a little, like, golly, why is that happening? Yeah, I, uh, I agree 100%. As a person that works in a corporate world environment, uh, I, I feel that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I love clients just because like they come up with prompts and situations and critiques that I could never have myself. And so it instantly pushes me, you know, further rather than just going, oh, this is what I'm thinking. I really enjoy like the like kind of, um, I don't know, is it pinball or volley? The thing that happens when it goes back and forth and then all of a sudden you like, yield something that no one could have done on their own it only happens through multiple heads multiple conversations but you know the time thing you know awesome well thank you so much nick for uh being on our podcast this was by far an awesome episode so thank you so much um and if anyone wants to reach out to you or if anyone wants to learn more about you, um, where could they find you? Sure. Um, I'm always happy to answer emails um, or, or talk to folks. My uh, website is nickadam.co and my email address is on there. Um, you can see our work at SPAN at span.studio and my email address is on there as well. Um, there's a lot of people, um, 
in my life that I reached out to and they always reached back out to me. And so mentors like Don Hancock and Rick Velasani, Bethany Johns and Doug Scott. And I want to be mere reflections of them. And so that's just to say that if anyone ever wants to talk, I always respond. I try to um, mentor and talk to about 20 young designers a year. And it's something that I had great, great pleasure in. So please, let's talk. Awesome. And by the way, I, just one more thing. I noticed that, I don't know how recent this was, but I noticed that you redid your portfolio website. And I just want to say it's so beautiful. I texted it to a friend yesterday and I was like, hey, check this out. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just for anyone that's listening, definitely check out Nick's website. Um, it's great. And I and I think, <laughs> I, 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 and I remember when I was graduating from college, this was in, in 2016, I remember using your portfolio as sort of like a reference point for mine. Um, just the way that you laid out your projects and like the way that mm. you talked about them, like it's just, you, you do such a great job. So um, yeah, I just want to oh. mention that. Right. Well, I'll give you a sneak peek behind the curtain. The website is inspired by a very specific garbage can in Chicago. It's a, it's a dumpster. Um, and they, it's this big yellow dumpster with this green type on it. Uh, I think it's green and red. And so the colors, um, and concept of the site, a hundred percent inspired by my favorite dumpster in Chicago. I'll share the image, um, on your website for this, yeah. for this podcast. Yes. Send it to me and I'll, and I'll make sure to post it on our website. So awesome. That's, well, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's such a good dumpster. Like I, I wish I designed that. Um, so you, you, uh, Jamie, a while ago, you said uh, dream project. Um, things like that, things that are just in the public zeitgeist that, you know, mm -hmm. th that it's like, man, incredible dumpster. The thing that we interact with all the time. Let's go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Um, it's been great having you and yes, let's keep in touch and yeah. And thank you, Jamie, for, um, yeah, for co-hosting with me. Yeah, yeah no Jamie. Problem. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Sorry to talk there. Uh, Jamie, thanks so much. The rapid fire was fabulous. Christian, thanks for letting us dive deep. Um, I greatly appreciate it and I'm glad that we've remained friends for so long. So thank you ever so kindly. All right. We'll talk soon. Good run. Bye. Bye.